The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode... And like the whole time in the hospital as well, you know, they were showing me how to use the, the insulin pens and how to check my blood sugar and what it should be and, you know, if things go low, what you do and all this kind of stuff. But I was like, how long do I have to do that for? And they were like, Danny, forever. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Insulone Podcast. I'm delighted you're here to join me again for another week. I can't believe it's episode 22 already. But as me and Graham always say, time flies and you're having fun. So I hope you had a great week. And this week, I am delighted to have another guest on. He is a good friend. He is somebody who I went through four years of animation college with. He's a fellow Irishman and now a fellow type 1 diabetic. And I say now fellow because he was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes later than you would usually expect at the ripe age of 27. He's now 30 and I'm delighted he can join me to give me his perspective and share his, his experiences about being diagnosed later than most people would expect to be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So, Mr. Danny Gallagher. Danny, I'm delighted to have you on. What's happening? Thanks a million. It's great to be here. I met with you last week and we had a cup of coffee and we were having a chat. And I suppose we we have become friends over the years in college. And obviously, like we have just been talking before I pressed record here, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, I suppose, just a few months before we had started college. So you never knew me when I wasn't diabetic and we, we used to go to college and anytime I was checking my blood sugar or injecting insulin for lunch, I would always say to you, Danny, do you want some insulin? Do you want some insulin? Just that obviously as a joke. And you used to say, no, 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 my, my, my pancreas works as it's supposed to. I don't need any insulin. Yeah, but my now, insults have come back to bite me, haven't they? <laughs> two years after we finished college, you were diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and how the tables have turned, Danny. That's it. So you were diagnosed at the age of 27 
and you're 30 now. When did you, just to kind of get your perspective on your experience about it and, and the circumstances around it, when did you kind of notice something was wrong? Um, well, as you said, now I was 27 and I was still living in Dublin. Uh, don't live there anymore now. I'm back in glorious Cork in a lovely tranquil town about 20 minutes <laughs> north called Mallow. But I was diagnosed in Dublin and for a couple of days I was getting not major um, symptoms, but Joe, as we talked about now as well, like just the unquenchable thirst. Like you just could not stop drinking water. Like as soon as you put a bottle to your face, like you just could not rip it away. Mm. Um, that and just like without sounding too graphic, no peeing all the time. So I said to my housemate, I, I told him that, like I was like, I'm having an awful problem there the last couple of days. And he said that I probably have a UTI, like a urinary tract infection. Mm. So he was like, it's it's not a big deal. Like you just go to the doctor and he'll give you a couple of antibiotics first and you know, be grand. But I went to the doctor anyway and did uh, a urine test and he dipped like a strip into the into the thing and he was like, you're diabetic. And I was like, he, did that in front, he, he dipped the strip in in front of you. Right in front of me. Yeah. yeah. Inside <laughs> in his little office. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not, you know, like I'm definitely not diabetic. And he was like, listen, I'm going ringing the hospital now because the hospital was only about five minutes down the road. It was uh, St. Michael's in Dunleary. Shout out to them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> like he was like, they're, they're going to be expecting you. Like, get down now. Like, So I was like, all right, fair enough. And I went there straight away. But I actually had no idea like what it meant. Like, I know this, we kind of talked in college and I'd see you injecting and stuff. But I actually kind of took no notice of it. Like, just, you know, that was just, that was just something somebody else had to do, you know, and I just mm. carried on about my business, you know. So had you, you had gone to your local doctor almost just routinely to kind of reassure yourself that, you know, everything's probably fine. And then this has now turned into you being told pretty certainly that you have diabetes and you need to get to the hospital ASAP. Yeah. But like, I was asking him as well. I was like, what do you mean diabetes? And he was like, I can't tell you. Like, I don't know what it is. Now, obviously he didn't know, he couldn't tell whether it was type one or type two or Hmm. or whatever. He was just like, you need to go to the hospital right now. And when I went to the hospital, I didn't, I didn't even think it was that serious. Like they, I went straight in and they, they checked uh, my blood sugar and I think they took a blood sample as well. I think I'm not, I'm not exactly sure what they did. What was your blood sugar at? They, they said it was above 30 anyway. And my ketones, I think were 7.9 if I remember, Mm. but like that meant nothing to me. Like, you know, I didn't Mm. know what, what they were. Well, just for people listening too. So blood sugar. If you if you get a blood sugar reading in Ireland of thirty, that basically equals to about five hundred and forty in the states. So that's a that's a very 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 high, high number. Yeah. <laughs> so ideally, you want to be between four and eight. Yeah. So being thirty, that's uh that's that's a big big number. That was a big number, yeah. And the ketones as well, like mm. you know that was that's why they they kept me in, like um, but like I was sitting in a room after they'd taken my blood and I was literally thinking I was like what am I going to do for dinner tonight I might get a takeaway you know and next thing two doctors and two nurses walked into the room and they were like you're going to be in this hospital for quite a while and I was there for three days completely unexpected completely unexpected and I was like what do you mean 
And like the whole time in the hospital as well, you know, they were showing me how to use the the insulin pens and how to check my blood sugar and what it should be and you know if things go low, what do you do and all this kind of stuff. Just and I was a like, crash how long course do- of type one diabetes. Oh, like talk about a crash course. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, how long do I have to do that for? And they were like, well, you'll probably have to do maybe three, four, five injections every day. And I was like, yeah, but for how long? And they were like, Danny, forever. Like, and I was like, you're, you're, you you're thinking, when does this wear off? When does this go away? Can I just cut down on the sugar? Do you know, like, yeah, no. So you were obviously like myself back when I was diagnosed at the age of 19, where you kind of live a, a carefree lifestyle and you completely take your health for granted to an extent. You don't really know anything about diabetes. The, the only thing that you will associate diabetes with is eating sugar, being unhealthy, maybe being overweight. Exactly. So yeah. you have lived your life up until the age of 27, not really having to worry about much in terms of your health to now just like the flick of a switch being told you have to inject yourself multiple times a day for, for the rest of your life. Yeah. So did they have to bring your blood sugar down steadily when you were in hospital? Because I know you were there for three days. Yeah, three days. I had two drips in my arms, one in either arm. Uh, I'm not sure what it was, saline and... I don't even know what saline is, but like... As long as it brought your, brought your blood sugar down, it doesn't even matter. Well, it did, it like, yeah, <laughs> like, that's why I was there for three days, because like, they wouldn't let me go unless, you know, I was you know, back to normal. But even when I went home then, I was like, what do I do now? <laughs> You've been told now that you need to inject yourself multiple times a day. You may not fully realize, I suppose, the detail that you have to live your life now. Because as we both know, and anybody who's listening that's diabetic, as we all know, the detail that you need to live every day of your life is extraordinary. The carb count, to anticipate how exercise or stress or sleep can affect your blood sugar. It's a completely different way of living your life. Yeah. And if, you, if you're not diabetic, you just don't really understand that. But I found the first year actually grand because I was going through the honeymoon phase, which like for anybody who's non-diabetic listening now, it's kind of where your, like your pancreas doesn't just switch off, you know, magically. Like it, it takes mm. a while for it to shut down. So you might not need that much insulin and you might be struggling mm. For a while, but um, my second year definitely was was hard. Like, so were you in a honeymoon phase for a year? I'd say nearly a year. Yeah, yeah. So basically, yeah. What a what a honeymoon phase is when you're diagnosed with type one diabetes. Your, your pancreas obviously shuts down. You start taking external, I suppose, artificial insulin to regulate your blood sugar, and because you're taking this insulin externally, it almost kind of gives your pancreas a break. Now, not everybody will experience the honeymoon phase, but when you do take this external insulin, your pancreas gets that break and it almost kind of kick starts again. And it can completely depend on person to person in terms of, you know, how long that the honeymoon period lasts. So mine was about six months and I loved it for six months because it's almost like you're not diabetic anymore. So I'm almost jealous yeah. to hear that your honeymoon phase lasted for a year. Well, then I had to deal with it after the year. So <laughs> It's almost like a second diagnosis. Yeah. 
what do you think were the biggest changes in terms of like your day to day? Because I know for me, as I said, you you live your life up to this point and you can eat food, you can exercise, you can drink alcohol and you don't really need to worry about much of it. And then overnight, everything needs to be looked after. So what were the what were the biggest changes that you noticed just in a normal day, an average day of Danny? (laughs) For me, an average day of Danny is a fear of hypos. Like I've had some tremendous ones. Like I remember my very first one was when I was living in Dublin, I was all, and I had bottles of Lucasade, but I kept them in the fridge downstairs. I didn't have them next to my bed. Mm. And I woke up during the middle. I think it's actually the first hypo that I actually remember. And I like, you know yourself now what it's like waking up with a nighttime hypo. Like you were, you know, you're fit to die. Like it is the most horrendous feeling in the world. And I like ran down the stairs and went to the fridge, got the bottle and just sat on the floor of the kitchen. And I mean, I say I drank the whole bottle of glucoside in one cup. And I don't really remember what happened for a couple of minutes. But then I was alive again, like, you know, there was mm. sugar coming down my arms and everything. <laughs> you know, and like, I just felt it everywhere. It just felt so good to just be regenerated. Had you any idea of how a hypo would feel? Because I know exactly what it feels like. And when you're describing it, you're describing it so well because you wake up, particularly when you wake up in the middle of the night with a bad hypo, you know, it's your body shutting down. It's almost like your body is just melting. Yeah. And you're craving, craving that sugar. Like all you can think about is sugar. Mm. You're just like, I need sugar now. Like, it's actually so funny as well because, um, you know, you were saying about like having sugar tablets, like kind of the glucose tablets kind of anywhere near you. I'm gone to a place now where like they're, li- I'm finding them in places where I can't remember that I put them. Like they're in every crevice of my car. They're <laughs> in every drawer that I know and they're on top of shelves and everything. And like, it, it actually reminds me of, um, there was some film I saw there years and years ago where there was, um, some like gangster drug dealer and it was like police like bashing in his door and like he'd loads of drugs and money on the table and everything but he ran out to his hallway and started like tapping on the walls looking for the hollow spot and like punched it in and pulled out like a machine gun out of the thing and like that's how I feel I am now with sugar tablets like they're just <laughs> everywhere like I just can't sugar tablets and blood sugar strips Just find them everywhere. So when you were talking about that late night hypo, and I suppose it was your your first bad one, let's say, had you any idea about how that would feel? Did a nurse or doctor describe to you, obviously, you know, if your blood sugar goes high, you may feel this way. If your blood sugar goes low, you may feel this way. Did Had you any idea of how it feels? Because it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Not at all. I had... I, all I knew was that I needed sugar in me, like right now. You know, like your your body just knows. Like, I just craved it, you know. Nobody told me how bad it was going to be. Because, like, in fairness now, like, the nurses and doctors and everything are absolutely brilliant. You know, I can't say a bad word about them. But they don't know what a hypo actually feels like. 
but yeah, no, it just no, I just I switched off, and it was just like get sugar into my brain now. And it's funny; it's a feeling that you instinctively know that I need sugar now. Yeah, but for twenty-seven years, you had never felt that feeling before. I know. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? But like, I just knew it was. You just know because you're going weak. You know you. You're almost passing out. Mm. Like I did pass out once. Like you did pass out from a hypo. From a hypo, yeah. I was at work and um started to feel a hypo and threw back a full bottle of Lucozade and I don't remember anything from after that. But I I stood up from the desk and walked a couple of feet and then fell backwards and hit my back off the corner of the desk and fractured two vertebrae, um, which wasn't a great experience. But, you know, it's that kind of thing that would kind of make you a bit anxious about having hypos, you know. How long after being diagnosed did that happen? About two years. And how low did you go? I don't know. I just, all, all I knew was, all I knew was felt it coming on and horse the sugar into me and that was it like it's actually one of the worst experiences i've ever had now was a diabetic because um i woke up on the floor and there was two paramedics around me and a couple of people that i worked with and you know like it took me a while to kind of like i was very groggy for a bit like i didn't know what was going on but they did like you know, almost carry me down the stairs into an ambulance, like, and there was loads of people watching me leave and everything, like, it was just, it'd kind of leave you a bit, like, self-conscious, like, you know. Were you in hospital then for a while after that? No, I was out the same day. I didn't have ketones or I wasn't too high or anything. It was just, just a low and then we came back up. And do you think then from that, it's kind of almost created that hypo anxiety because i get it too every every diabetic gets that hypo anxiety because it's such a horrible feeling that yeah. getting a hypo is the the last thing you want you will do anything to avoid it at all costs definitely yeah like for a long time after i had very serious hypo anxiety so would you have gone the opposite way then and almost over treated just to ensure that you wouldn't have your bloods drop yeah that's exactly what I did, like, yeah. And sure then, like, I was going around with high blood sugars and, you know, you'd be groggy and your head wouldn't work right and you could barely function, really, like, you know, if you have high blood sugars for a few days, like. But, like, it was the fear, you know. The fear of passing out again. And yeah. Hitting your back off a desk. When was that? No, that was uh, March last year. And my back still hurts. I'm still scared of getting getting a bad hypo like that again. Now I've much better control on it now at the moment. Like, do you think now that you've had it for a number of years, though, you're kind of you're almost more confident with your management around your diabetes? So the likelihood of you dropping so low without treating it definitely is, yeah. is like, lessened. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, having a CGM as well, like, is an absolute lifesaver. Like, having an alarm on your phone that will tell you if you're going to go low. 
you know, I mean, like, pe- like people don't understand. Literally a lifesaver. It's literally a lifesaver. <laughs> yeah. like, but, like, I think people without diabetes don't understand how, how much that changes your life. Mm. Like, you could be nearly dead, you know, and then your phone would be like, bling, bling, you know. Yeah. Quickly, Danny, you're close to death. Eat sugar tablets. <laughs> That's the way it is. Yeah. Even from speaking to you last week and speaking to you now, I know that you really seem to have it together, which is great because you've only had it for, I suppose, three years. And there's been a couple incidents like that for you, unfortunately. But I suppose you live and learn through them, you know, and you say so yourself that you manage it better. So the likelihood of it happening again is, is definitely lessened. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I, sorry, like, and, I've never once cursed having this condition. Like, you know, everybody has something to deal with. This is my cross to bear. Like, you know, you just deal with it. You know, you get on with it. And I think as well, one of those things, and it's amazing to hear you say that because it can be so hard because it's a 24 hour, seven days a week type of thing. And I suppose having that ability to be like, look, this is a, a shit card that I've been dealt, but I've been dealt it. Can't change that. It, nothing I do can change that. And I suppose having the ability to change your mindset around it will completely change your diabetes management mm. because me and you have this for the rest of our lives. That's just the way it is. So it, there's going to be no benefit to us to look at it in a negative way. And you know, it's not too bad either. Like, in a lot of ways, it's kind of taught me to live life a, a bit better. Like, I have a better routine now, you know, in terms of, you know, eating meals at the same time every day and getting a good night's sleep and things like that, you know? You see, because you were 27 when you got it, you obviously kind of had your routines in place. And I suppose the big one that that I would always look at is socializing and nights out, because that was kind of my... That was one of my big concerns when I was diagnosed and I was diagnosed earlier than you. So I lived through my twenties with it. Yeah. How did you kind of make that adjustment from we're Irish? So it's almost in our culture to kind of go out and have a few drinks and enjoy ourselves. So how did you make that adjustment or what sort of routine or changes did you need to make to just going to the pub, going out with friends, socializing, going for dinner? I didn't really have to make that much of an adjustment because, I don't know, I wasn't drinking that much anyway. But, like, certainly every pint that you had was a worry on your mind. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, no, I just kind of, if I had a few drinks now at home or something, I'd just make sure to have a, a bite to eat, a couple of slices of toast, or if I was out, I'd get a bag of chips or something and just fix it the next day. You know, and would you see your blood sugars kind of take a hit if you go out socializing, you go out drinking, or you go out for a meal? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they'd go. It'll definitely go high. Yeah, because obviously you're eating different food than you you typically would. But again, that goes back to the the hypo anxiety. You know, I wouldn't take as much insulin for a meal if I was going out. You know that I probably mm. should. And also, you can't weigh the food. You know, you can't ask the chef what's that. Excuse way, me, waiter. You know? <laughs> Excuse me, waiter. <laughs> I need, I need a food scales here. Yeah, 
that's always what's on my mind too because obviously when you kind of have that rigid routine where typically the same sort of stuff every day you know how the food you eat and prepare will affect your blood sugar so it's kind of that it's like the unknown of going to a restaurant you're actually making me laugh now because i remember you in college and you had the same thing every day (laughs) and you used to eat every two hours and i was like what is wrong with you like why are you so hungry all the time what did you have you had like sweet potatoes broccoli and like chicken every day (laughs) like three times the old staple in in the own costello diet i remember actually uh one thing i remember about your diabetes now was um we were going away for lunch, I think, a few of us in someone's car. Fiona, Fiona Ryan's car, I think. Shout out to Fiona. Mm. But you <laughs> asked, could you um, could you stop and grab something for your car? And it was a, a pack of glucose tablets. And I was like, what are those? And you were like, it's in case I have a hypo. And I remember thinking, like, I don't know what a hypo is. Like, like what is that? Like, mm. like, you couldn't go anywhere without it. I'm never more than three feet away from high sugar. Like, Would you have had more of an idea about what your diabetes kind of involved from seeing me in college, do you think? Or because it wasn't you in college, you don't really pay too much attention to it. And it's kind of like, ah, he injects himself, but it's probably just for a few months or, you know, that kind of way. Do you know, to be honest, I hate to say it, but I actually didn't pay much attention at all. <laughs> you didn't pay attention to me at all. No, I didn't. No, like you were just doing your thing and it was grand and that was something you had to deal with and I didn't have to deal with it and until I had to deal with it. And but look no, at you no, now, Danny. Look at me now. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, but genuinely, like I I was very ignorant like when I was diagnosed. Like I didn't have a clue. Not at all. Like, Did you just learn kind of through your own trial and error? Uh, I would have read a lot online. And mm. like, I would have followed you quite a bit. And um, there was a lot of people that you would follow online that I'd follow as well. Like, Did you get yourself involved in the online community relatively fast? Yeah, I did. Yeah, because I know me and you would were obviously keeping in touch. But did you kind of jump in there as well? No, I did. Yeah, a, I, I a great community. Followed online. a lot of people. Like, yeah, yeah. Do you think that helped kind of get through the initial process of it? Massively, yeah. Like one thing now I did was Helen back uh, up in Bray, actually. Did it I last October? Actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was asking you about it, actually, wasn't I? About how I could yeah, that's when I was away. I remember, I remember talking to you about it, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was talking to, uh, is it Talia? Talia, yeah. Yeah. Um, and she gave me a recommendation for... Uh, like a pouch that goes around your waist mm. um, that you can keep sugar and stuff in. But like that was a big thing for me to to do that because like, again, like I was just terrified that I would just fall unconscious during it, you know? Mm. Well, for people for people that don't know what hell and back is, what is it, Danny? It's, I suppose it's kind of like a an obstacle course race. I think it's eight or nine kilometers, but it's... Yeah, it's all obstacles. Like you climb over fences and you jump through ice bats and you jump off cliffs and that kind of thing. Something that is difficult in itself, let alone then having to prepare for highs and lows throughout. But I was, I got a lot of pride from doing it. Like, you know, it sort of killed a lot of my anxiety. Just being able to do it 
like I stopped halfway through and was able to clean my hands and prick my finger and check. And, you know, blood sugar was all good. And no, I mean, I was terrified about doing it. Mm. I horsed down a bottle of um, fizzy orange before I, <laughs> before I ran off and everything. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I suppose it kind of takes some of the fear away from, you know, <gasps> can I exercise without going low? Can I do this? Can I do that? So I suppose once you go through those sort of things and know that, look, I can manage my blood sugar, I will manage my blood sugar and I can do it as do it as best I can, you know? Yeah. The gym can still be scary at times, you know, because like if you're kind of, if you lift heavy weights, like, the, like it's the same feeling as almost going low. And then sometimes like you feel like you're going low and you almost get low because of how anxious you are. Like, you know, yeah, and- the fear of going low brings you low. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the tricky one too. with going to the gym or even exercising full stop because when you're exercising, you can be sweating, your heart can be racing. You could be out of breath, all signs and symptoms of highs or low blood sugars. It's always so important for you to check a lot more regularly in the gym and around exercise than any other time throughout the day, really. Have you ever had a bad low in the gym? Not a bad one, but I've, I've definitely had a few. It's horrible. Where you're because always, it's the worst. Like, and particularly if you're doing like a heavier type of weight. I remember, I think I was doing squats. It was probably a couple of years ago. I was doing squats and I never really squat too heavy anyway, because I have some issues with my lower back, but that's a different story um but i was squatting relatively heavily and when i came back up from the last rep i was obviously lightheaded from squatting as well but i knew that i was low and i almost like just kind of stumbled over to the bench and i checked my blood sugar and it was like 2.1 which is probably like 50 or so 40 50 was low i shoveled the glucose tablets into me and just kind of sat there numb yeah. for for like 10 15 minutes waiting for my blood sugar to come back up but other than that I, i'm always very cautious around the gym obviously because i know that you're a lot more inclined to go high and or low yeah so i suppose it's just kind of that that preparation in advance to ensure that you're doing everything you can to avoid going high or low like when i come home from the gym my blood sugar will be high and i'm like i know it's going to drop rapidly soon and i was like but i shouldn't take insulin first and you're like ah take it anyway do you know just be (laughs) safe and then you're just like in a heap on the ground (laughs) and then you drop because you're so sensitive to the insulin yeah that's it i suppose yeah you need to be cautious you need you almost need to be strict with yourself when you see those high blood sugars after doing weights or something in the gym it's quite likely that they'll come down naturally so I suppose being strict, being like, oh, I, I, I shouldn't take insulin. I shouldn't take insulin. I know, but Just it's so hard not to <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, Danny, I know you have only had diabetes for three odd years. And maybe it's easier for me to look at the positives of it because I'm close to a decade in. But I always like to finish the podcast on a positive note, even though you are an incre- incredibly positive person. But... I always like to finish with this question. <clears throat> oh, God, what is this? 
Danny, if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something, what would it be? Uh, a positive routine. Don't getting up every day and like it's it, it it makes you more healthy to get up and have breakfast, lunch, dinner at the same time. A steady routine. A steady routine, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I suppose the same for me too. It gives you that incentive to I suppose be consistent each day. Yeah. And we're diabetic friends now too, not just regular friends. I know we're diabetes. <laughs> anyway, Danny, thanks a million for being on. I really appreciate Listen, thanks it. Thanks a million for having me. It was great to be here. Absolutely. I uh I enjoyed catching up with you last week and even more so today. So I'll chat to you soon. Yeah, I'll right? give a shout next time I'm in Dublin. Good stuff. Take it easy, buddy. All right, man. Talk to you. And for anybody else, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode. As always, do the good stuff. Rate, like, comment, subscribe. And if you have any questions you'd like answered for next week, please email into the Podcast at gmail.com. But until then, have a fantastic week. Take it easy.